I sort of feel like we've moved into the dark side of Christmas. Do you ever get that feeling about now? I love Mannheim Steamroller, but I've put away the CD for now. I realize every I walk through the living room and I see the Christmas tree and I think I'm going to have to take it all down real soon. Trying to decide what you're going to do with that weird gift you got from somebody for Christmas and um, start writing thank you notes, all that sort of stuff that comes, comes afterward. And I don't know... You know, I don't know that you guys really appreciate what it's like for a pastor. I mean, every year, Christmas, you have to have another Christmas sermon, year after year after year. When uh, I remember, I had not been at Orchard Hill very long, and in my usual not thinking far ahead, I thought, hey, it'd be kind of neat if every year at Christmas I would portray one of the characters from the Christmas story. It sounded like a great idea. So the first year I did Joseph, and it was, it was pretty good. Second year, I believe it was a shepherd. Also, I felt really good about that. The next year, a wise man. And then we got to the fourth year, and I was getting a little desperate. And fortunately, I thought, Herod, of course, I could do Herod. And um, then I think I did an angel the year after that. And at that point, I was starting to panic hoping Jesus would return before the next Christmas. It got down to the place where it was either going to be a camel or a donkey the next year. And I know what some of you are thinking. Don't say it. Don't say it. But it was kind of fun for me and sort of helped my whole understanding of Christmas as I just, you know, would think about this one person, try to understand, you know, what it would have been like for them, try to put myself in their shoes. And uh, in the process of doing that, I, when I got to the year of I was going to do the innkeeper, I realized there actually is no innkeeper in the story. You remember that? It actually says, and so it was that while they were there, the time came for her to be delivered, for Mary to be delivered. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Period. No innkeeper. But somehow that whole idea of Mary and Joseph in this sort of desperate time when they, they are desperate for, for hospitality, and we picture uh, this innkeeper, either we think of him as kind of Grinchish, you know, sort of, no, go away, no room, or his trying to kind of desperately find a place for them, any place, you know, where they could have shelter for the night and where Mary could have some privacy, you know, in giving birth to this child. Hospitality is really important in that situation, isn't it? And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that where you really needed hospitality, but it is a desperate, desperate feeling to not know where you're going to be staying, you know, where you, how your needs are possibly going to be met. Um, I remember when Sally and I were first married, so we're, we're talking back in the early 70s, yeah, in the last century, and uh, we lived in Denver, and our families were still in Illinois and Indiana, so we would drive back, and I can remember a few times in the summer when it'd be really hot, and cars didn't have air conditioning, or at least our car didn't, so we would start, you know, kind of late in the day usually, and so we'd be driving through Nebraska uh, as it got later and later at night, 
And of course, this was back, there were no Casey's, no quick stars, nothing like that. And so sometimes we would plan to stop someplace at a motel for the night. But in those days, you didn't make reservations. You just drove by these, and if you'd see a, a motel that didn't look too much like the Bates Motel, if it, remember they used to have those um, vacancy or no vacancy signs, you know? And you drive no vacancy, and you drive on no vacancy, and you'd wonder if you were ever going to find a place. Or we'd be driving, and I'd be watching, you know, this would be like one in the morning or something, and I'd be watching the fuel gauge, you know, go closer and closer, empty. And in those days, honestly, some of you will remember this, I mean, I-80 was desolate. There was nothing, and you drive hour after hour, and, and it, I'd be so hoping we'd come to a gas station at some point. And of course, we called them filling stations in those days. And finally, you'd see a sign, you know, for some little little town in Nebraska. Oh, what an answer to prayer. And you'd pull off and there'd be this little, little town and one filling station. And of course, it would be closed for the night. And the thing that made it so bad was probably two hours before that, Sally would have said, do you think we ought to stop at this town and get gas? <laughs> and I would have said, no, we can keep going. There'll be another one right up the road. And, of course, Sally would never say it, but I knew at that point she's thinking, I told you so, I told you so. <laughs> and you do get that kind of desperate uh, feeling that I think maybe helps us to, to identify with Mary and Joseph at that point. They were in need, in desperate need of hospitality. And hospitality in, the, in Bible times was a little different than it is for us today. Christmas is a time of hospitality, isn't it? You make a plate of cookies and you take them to your neighbor and you, uh, you maybe change you know, the sheets in the guest room for out-of-town people that are going to be coming. Actually, on the way over this morning, I was listening to public radio and Martha Stewart was on talking about hospitality and party giving. Crazy stuff. One morning on the Today Show in preparation for Christmas, they were talking about how much we should gift people in our lives, like other than our family, and they were giving examples that would affect us, like how much should you gift your doorman and your maid and your nanny, you know? I felt like I think they're a little out of touch with most of us, you know. That's not what our hospitality, what our gift giving looks like much of the time. But in the Bible times, it was really often a matter of life and death. It wasn't just a matter of being sociable and polite to people. It was a matter of giving them, welcoming them, giving them the kind of aid and help that they needed or they might die. I don't know if you've ever been in that kind of situation, but it's really scary and frightening. I remember one time when we lived in Denver, um, and so I was a youth pastor then, and our, our youth group had paired this really good musical that we'd been giving various places, and so there were some churches from Michigan that had come to Estes Park, to the YMCA of the Rockies there, over, over Christmas break, and they invited our kids from Denver to come up and present the musical for them. So we went up, and, I, and we presented the musical, and really about the time we got there, it started snowing. Uh, pretty, pretty heavily. And uh, so we gave the musical and then spent the evening with them. And by the time we were ready to leave, it was terrible. It was a huge amount of snow, blowing, windy, freezing cold. And uh, 
the adults who were with us said, we, we better not try driving in this. So I went to talk to the manage, management at the Y there and said, uh, we're not asking for any food or bedding or anything like that. If we could just stay for a few more hours in this lodge where we'd given this concert, um, and then we'll leave first thing in the morning. And graciously, they said, of course, that would be fine. Let's see, there are 40 of you at 20. That's $880. <laughs> No, you don't understand. We're not, we don't need any food. We're not asking for sheets or anything. We just need a place to stay. $880. So we left. <laughs> Had this terrible, really scary drive trying to get back to Denver, you know, because hospitality wasn't extended to us. You know. And there's some amazing stories in the Bible about that same kind of thing, about people who literally would die if they weren't given the kind of hospitality the kind of help that people often need. I want to share with you one story. This is back from the book of, of, um, book of Genesis about Abraham. You remember in the Old Testament, I will sometimes mention to you these two dates that I'm trying to get you to remember, two important dates in the Old Testament. Abraham lived at 2000 B.C., and David, King David, lived at 1000 B.C., you can remember those two dates, that helps you a lot in kind of getting your chronology straight in the Old Testament. So Abraham lived when? And David? That's right. So we're talking now about 2,000 years before the time of Jesus. Things are very different. This is from the 18th uh, chapter of the book of Genesis. And it says, um, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees at Marmory um, as he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he turned from the entrance to his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. And he said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought. And then you may all wash your feet and rest under the tree, this tree. And let me get you something to eat so that you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham uh, hurried into the tent to Sarah, that's his wife. Quick, he said, get three selahs of flour, of fine flour, and knead it and make some bread. You you maybe notice (laughs) who's doing all the work here. (laughs) Quick, he says to his wife, do something. (laughs) Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Again, he's not doing anything, is he? And he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set these before them. And while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Uh, There's a lot in this story that we don't have time to talk about today. But the the point I want to make is for you to look at the hospitality that was given here. So Abraham didn't have a a house. He was a nomad. He was a a shepherd, in a sense, a herdsman. He had large herds of, of sheep and, and oxen and donkeys, and they would move from place to place. And he, these three people are walking by, and, and he invites them uh, to come and share a meal and water and wash their feet and rest and be rested. And he didn't make them beg for this. He went to them and offered that to them. Uh, I mean, this area where this takes place was, was extremely arid and, and hot and desolate. I, if, 
it's, it's hard to, for you to picture, I think, what it was really like. And so often that was the case, that, that someone then would settle like near an oasis or where there might be a source of water. And those were few and far between. So for someone like Abraham, who had a lot of servants who were taking care of his sheep, for instance, they would often have to go for days to find um, food, you know, grass, grazing for the sheep and, and places where there would be water which gives a lot of important meaning, I think, to the 23rd Psalm, doesn't it, as we speak about Jesus doing that for us. You know? And people would come by, and if you were one of those people in the desert and people came by, they would be dying in need of water and food and shade, of which there was very little, if you didn't help them. A few years ago, um, I was driving to a meeting of our area ministers in Reformed churches, and it was cold. It was a terrible cold morning, and I was driving early in the morning, heading out into the country to one of the country churches, and, um, and it was icy, and I flipped my car. My car rolled over, and um, I wasn't hurt, but it's a little upsetting, and and as usual, I had not dressed for the occasion at all, so I had a winter coat on, but I didn't have a hat or boots or anything like that, because those weren't cool to wear. And so I managed to get out of the car, and fortunately, it was right in front of a house, just, you know, right there. It, the house was vacant. So I looked, and I could see another house in the distance, and I realized I was going to have to walk to that house. And... <laughs> It was bitterly cold, bitterly cold. And as I walked toward that house, I didn't think I was going to die, but I thought I could sure see how people could have that experience of, of just something happening all of a sudden, and they're in a place where they're going to die. And if I got to that, that next house and there wasn't somebody there to welcome me and help me, I don't know what would have happened. Fortunately, they were this, this beautiful couple who saw me coming. In fact, parents of an Orchard Hill member, so they kind of knew me. And by the time I got to the house, they had the door open and the coffee on, and they greeted me with a hug. And that was just the kind of hospitality I needed at that point. You know, we can die without the kind of hospitality that's being talked about here in the Old Testament. And that's true throughout the Bible. That kind of hospitality is what was so important to people. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to see if we can take that up a notch. I think we've looked at kind of two levels so far. We've looked at the sort of hospitality and kindness to people that is offering a plate of cookies or shoveling your neighbor's driveway. And then we've talked about how important it was that it wasn't just a matter of politeness, of kindness, but it was a desperate kind of hospitality that was often needed in the Bible, in Bible times. But I want to take that up another step to see that spiritually what God is doing for us is offering to us hospitality. And what this story in the Bible, the birth of Jesus is, is really God extending hospitality to us. We got, we got a guy in the church, um, Jeff Clements. Jeff has been around a long time. And back um, when he was a younger man, like 20 years ago, uh, Jeff was uh, riding his motorcycle um, off-road 
And he doesn't remember exactly what happened. This was in the summer. He was just wearing like shorts and a t-shirt, he said. And, and he had his helmet on. And somehow he crashed. And um, he doesn't remember it, but it was severe enough. It actually ripped his helmet off, uh, his shoes, knocked him out. He doesn't know how long he was unconscious. When he came to, he was kind of coiled up in barbed wire that he'd run into in this ditch, bleeding, lost a lot of blood. And, and Jeff says, by the grace of God, he somehow managed to get out of this ditch, get untangled from the barbed wire, and crawl to, to a road nearby. And he, and he lay there beside the road, and he thought, if someone doesn't help me, I'm going to die. And fortunately, a car came by, and the, the driver apparently saw this bloodied, ripped-up guy lying beside the road, and he swerved around and went on. Fortunately, the next car that came by stopped and helped Jeff and probably literally saved his life. I think the picture of what God is offering to us is like that. And that we need to see ourselves, we need to see humanity as those bloodied, ripped up people lying beside the road. I mean, when you, when you think about the people that you've come in contact with these last few weeks, I mean, they just, especially at Christmas time, in some ways, they seem really happy, you know, when it seems like a great time. And even if it's the, you know, the kind of um, frazzled cashier at, at Target or the tired UPS dri driver or, you know, someone in our neighborhood, someone we work with, you know, we look at them and they look like, um, like they've got it together and that they're good, happy people. But the picture that God tells us is the true picture of what humanity is like is very different than that. One time, Jesus, um, after his death and resurrection, was speaking through his disciple John to some of those first century Christians. And this is what he said. And this is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, you know, you say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. But you don't realize that you are wretched pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Hey, I'm talking about you, you know. If you were to go to, to one of those people and say, excuse me, but um, do you consider yourself wretched, poor, blind, naked? And they would say, well, of course not, you know. And we look at them, and we don't think of them that way either. But the Bible says that our condition, apart from God through Jesus Christ, is like that. And we often aren't even aware of that, that people are bleeding to death, that they are dying apart from Jesus Christ, and they don't even realize it. Let me read you one, two more verses. This is from the book of Ephesians. This is one of the letters that Paul wrote to some of those early Christians. And he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. I mean, it's not only that we're messed up, that we're broken, that we're dirty and pitiful and naked and hungry, but we're actually dead, the Bible says, dead in our trespasses, spiritually dead, apart from God through Jesus Christ. And God comes at Christmas to extend an invitation to us. 
He offers us the very things, you know, that we're going to need to live, the living water, as Jesus said about himself, the bread of life, you know, salvation, you know, when, at a time when, when we are, when our lives are going the wrong way, and we need to somehow have those kind of uh, spiritual lenses to be able to see the world the way that God does and to realize that that's what's happening to us. I, I heard an interview on the radio of a, um, of a medical doctor in the military. He was actually a surgeon. And he was with our troops um, some dangerous place. I don't remember if it was Afghan or where it was. And he was talking about the kinds of surgeries that he would have to perform. And he, and he was talking about something that I'd never really thought about, that he would often perform surgery, life-saving surgery, not just for our own soldiers, our military, but for enemies as well. Those, uh, you know, insurgents or terrorists, you know, who for some reason had been shot or injured or the bomb they were planting, you know, blew up too soon or something like that. And they would actually be brought into this medical camp for him to care for them. And, and that in itself uh, touched me deeply. I was amazed that I hadn't even thought about that. But here's what he said that really struck me. He said, so when, when one of these enemy combatants would be brought in and desperately in need of surgery was dying, he said, if I would post that we needed blood for this man, he said the people in the United States military would line up to give their blood to save the life of their enemy. Well, for one thing, I say, praise God for the men and women in our military, because that's the kind of people that they are. But I thought to myself, that's exactly, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. It wasn't that Jesus came to earth to save all these really nice, good people who already love him and care about him. You know, he came to save not even just the wretch lying beside the road bleeding to death. He came to save his enemies. That's who the Bible says we are. You know, that we're living our lives as enemies of God, lost, you know, dying. And Jesus came to give his blood to save the life of his enemies. You know. And so when we look at Christmas, that's just the first step in this gracious invitation that God is offering to us because the birth, the reason for Jesus' birth was so that he could die. And the reason that he died was so that we could live. And God is offering that invitation to humanity. The words of the angel were true. You know? I bring good news of a great joy that's available to everybody. God's ho hospitality, God's gracious invitation is for everybody, those far and those who are near. Romans, one of the, another letter that, that Paul wrote, uh, says this in chapter 5. He says, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For if we, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? And so Jesus says, 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. All you have to do is open the door and invite me in. So here we are going into a new calendar year. I don't know how you approach that. I'm a big fan of, of New Year's resolutions. And I think maybe we don't do a good enough job in thinking about the resolutions that we make uh, physical ones, lose some weight, get some exercise, or you know, read some books, some mental things we're going to do, to think about what would be a good resolution for us to make spiritually. And I'm convinced that maybe what God would have many of us do would be to make a resolution to take steps toward offering that gracious hospitality of our Lord uh, to people around us. And I think maybe there are like three steps to that process. I, I think the first one might be that we need to pray persistently. You know, what, if, what if you began to do that? What if you asked God to help you see the people that you're going to come in contact with, you know, maybe every day, somebody you work with, a neighbor, you know, even a, a family member, a friend, you know, but someone maybe who's living their life apart from Jesus Christ and begin to pray for them. And... <clears throat> I think it's hard to pray persistently, time after time after time, even about things that we care about. And I think one of the things that can help us in that is if we sort of associate that praying with something else in our lives. So uh, what if you decided that every morning when you're shaving, you'd pray for that person? And even the guys could do this as well. What if there were a time every day when you'd say, when, when I do that on my way to work or when I come to this place, I'm going to pray f for this friend, this coworker, and I'm going to pray that somehow they'll come to know and to receive that gracious invitation that God offers to them. You know, praying uh, persistently. Secondly, living authentically. Living your life, you know, graciously and lovingly so that people will be able to look at you and say, I, I don't know what it is about them, but I, I like that. That appeals to me. I'd like to have a life like that. And that we model the kind of lifestyle that God has called us to. And, and finally, when you have an opportunity to witness joyfully, to actually believe that God might open the door a little bit where you'd have a chance to say a good word for Jesus Christ to let people know that the reason your life is like it is is because of what God has done for you. And to share with them. You may not have all the answers. Uh, it may be a little scary to do. You don't have to say a whole lot. But just letting them know that Jesus Christ died for them. That that Christmas that we celebrated was the beginning of God's plan of redemption. And letting them know that they are invited by God to come into a relationship with him. Uh, pray with me, please. Jesus, thank you that you gave your life blood for us. That really what Christmas is all about um, was just the beginning of your extending that invitation to us, to all humanity. And that you call us to live in a way that is, is gracious and welcoming and hospitable to, to those who are in need. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what we can't do. Because we can't persuade people. We're not smart enough or eloquent enough. We don't know the Bible well enough. 
that Holy Spirit, you can create in, in these friends, uh, in these co-workers, in these neighbors, you know, a desire, maybe a hunger to find out what, what more there is to life than what they've experienced this far. And we pray that through us, during this next year, you would be glorified. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you.